It's been 23 years since my dad died. And I think people often assume that it gets easier over time. And um, it doesn't. I I think you just learn to cope better um, because grief is a constant process. But one thing that definitely makes it easier is having people that you can talk to about it and people who understand. Um, it's actually grief that brought Daniela and I together and it's probably the reason why we are so close because we have that shared understanding. And in this episode, we talk about the day that her dad died the process of accepting and healing. I do have to issue a trigger warning because it's a sensitive topic, but if you can listen, I hope it blesses you and I hope that you learn something. It doesn't feel like it's been 10 years at all. Mm. And just before she says it, I will say, yes, I very much didn't like her when I first met her. (laughs) I was pretty sure that this was not going to be a friendship. Um, that was going to last a long time. Mm. So we met um, as part of a voluntary, sorry, as part of a voluntary international um, program um, called Platform Two, and um, and we went. Both were selected to go to India to work in schools and help teach and stuff like that. Um, I'd met Vasha, I think one of the intro days what was it was it like an icebreaker day or yeah to make the pre-information day? i think it was an icebreaker yeah. day okay, great. um and um yeah <laughs> <laughs> i just I, I didn't get a good impression from her but i don't think that was that's just because i don't really like anybody to be honest um over Fair. the years i've had to really learn to like people um <laughs> and not make snap judgments which is one of the things that she proved to me um but i'll never forget the moment that we'd kind of got off this 12-hour flight from delhi and they were like we're going to be on a bus for 10 hours and i was like great okay we all just need to just sleep 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 <laughs> sleep and she was sat behind me just constantly talking and I was like she's not going to shut up for the whole 12 weeks that we're out here and I just remember her saying this is what people always say these kind of trips is where you make friends for life and I was like no no my dear you will not be my friend for life I hope that is <laughs> not true are. and here we are um so I'm happy to say that I was wrong <laughs> she was right but one of the things that happened when Dan was in India so Dan didn't get to finish the trip you left what was it six Six weeks in, yeah. Yeah, six weeks in because her dad passed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember that day like it was yesterday because I was the person that actually got the phone call. I think, I can't remember, it was like one in the morning. I think it was late though because the lights were off. It wasn't. <laughs> I, I don't know, this I forgot. Yeah. I know that I, I can see, I can see... <laughs> Yeah, so it was, we were in bed anyway. We were in bed, and what it was, I think, is that it had started to get darker earlier. Yeah. Um, so when we first got there, it wasn't really getting that dark. Sorry, it wasn't getting that dark um, that early, but it was getting quite dark earlier by yeah. this time. Plus, we were so off the London time as well, so I think it was even the morning here. Um, I think the call came through to Vash, and then she handed the phone to me, and... Um, and my friend told me that unfortunately my dad had passed away um so just a little bit of background so before I'd gone I always felt like for everybody else this was like a great opportunity everyone was quite young and free and it was I guess a 
like a carefree experience for them whereas when I left my dad was already quite ill um and I think we'd both I I lived alone with him because my mum had passed um 10 years earlier um and I guess when the opportunity came up to go to India I had to consider you know the fact that I was my dad's main carer and how would this work out and actually is this even a good decision or is this a selfish one um and what I did is I discussed it with my dad and my dad said he would never want anything to hold me back from um reaching my potential or doing the things that I want to do and he would never want to be the reason that I missed out on an opportunity which is why I decided to go um and I'd kind of (laughs) put this regiment in just to ensure that he was good so he had like 20 people's contact if he needed anything not that he would or he did um and I think sadly what had happened is my dad had gone into hospital about two weeks earlier and we'd also had quite an argument um about my brother or something like that um and I'd said I'm not going to speak to you for two weeks and he said um I bet you can't even do it (laughs) and it had been two weeks on the day that I was trying to get hold of him and I couldn't so throughout the whole day anytime I had my phone or access to electricity I was just trying to get hold of my dad Mm. and he wasn't answering the phone um he wasn't responding um I called I think my cousin and my cousin was saying um he had like a bad feeling he was just like I just I want to get into the house um who's got the keys and I said my friend has the keys because she um her and my dad had a really good relationship during the time um she would bring him meals and stuff or just you know um talk with him um I just wanted to go back to the point where you said that um you said that you weren't going to talk to your dad for two weeks um because I think you said that to me before and I remember being very like, oh my gosh, like we don't realise when yeah. the last time we're going to speak to someone is, which is why, I mean, even just from my own dad passing, which is why I'm very like, life is too short, be, you know, be um, be conscious of what you say to people, yeah. like, regardless of what they do to you. And um, so I think that was one of my biggest le- lessons or learnings from what you told me. Um, but what else do you think that you have learned through that process of losing I think the thing about the last two short thing is that I had to learn that the first time around when my mum passed um and unfortunately my mum had an unexpected heart attack at 39 and we'd had an argument as a family and when she left the house she'd said goodnight to me and I never said goodnight back to her and that had been like my biggest regret for years and years and it did kind of have an impact on the relationship that I then had with my dad so when I'd made the decision to not speak to him for two weeks number one I was checking in with other people and so my friend my aunt's um, every, anyone that I could to the point where my dad even like sent me a text at one point and said it just said liar liar pants on fire <laughs> I know that you're asking about me or something like that and I said no I'm not but of course I had been it was a Wednesday my dad had just come out of hospital on Monday I'd made all the arrangements for him to even be picked up for there to be food in the house when we got there I'd sorted everything out um, and then no one had heard from him throughout the day um, even though my friend had seen him the night before Mm. Um, so I guess back to the day which was kind of filled with this kind of panic and this just sense in my stomach that something wasn't right 
Yeah, because I remember, um, I've still got pictures from Chelsea's birthday where you're on your phone. Like, <laughs> the, like I remember, yeah, you're on your phone for like, the whole thing. And I remember being like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Yeah, I was just so distracted because I knew that I don't know why it was any different to any other time, but but something I just couldn't seem to get through to anybody at the times that I wanted to. And then I think I'd given um, Vash's number as an alternative contact yeah. to get through to um, when my battery died. And so then my friend ended up calling Vash. Um, and I just remember getting the phone and, and putting the phone to my ear and I just feel in my head I guess Vash is just like frozen there like, I was frozen literally frozen just like not quite knowing what to do and um, I just my friend said I'm like she was crying but she, I don't think I recognised that she was crying when I first came on the phone but she was saying I'm sorry and she was like I'm really sorry I'm really sorry and I just said it's okay it's okay it's okay it's okay um, and when she had said I'm really sorry she hadn't actually said what happened but no, you knew no I knew yeah. because she said sorry yeah um, and she kind of started um, like almost like rambling a bit and she was saying that she was sorry because when she left the house the night before mm. my dad told her not to lock the front door and that's a very strange request like we always lock the door like for security reasons and my dad had said to her don't lock the front door and I think she had then kind of put it together that my dad clearly didn't think he was going to be okay and he kind of felt that someone would need to get into the house so I feel like she was her rambling was kind of saying I'm really sorry I should have picked up on this yesterday that that doesn't make any sense that he'd want the front door open or whatever and I was just like it's okay it's okay and I just um as I started saying it's okay, I was kind of like stood in the doorway of our little hut sand room <laughs> with its six bunk beds, and I don't even think we had shelves or no, there no. was no shelves. Six bunk beds, and I that think four hooks yeah. that we had to argue over. Um, and I was just kind of, I just remember everybody's kind of, it literally was like a slow motion movie, and like where the sound even got distorted, and That's it almost what it felt, felt like. like like this big rush of wind like in that sound I just I could see Vash frozen and I saw our friend Chelsea whose birthday it was she screamed and it was like this piercing sound and I just remember me thinking the pitch of her scream is exactly how I feel like how did she do it like and I I just couldn't like I was still kind of still frozen in my moments and I guess my thing is my next step just went to stroke practicalities I was like oh my god I'm 45 hours away from home and that is if I got a flight right now like I just need to get home I need to get home um and it was it was then that I guess everything kind of like zoned back like the the picture got colour again and then I just remember like Vash kind of being with me and like there was loads of like people crowding around and I was like I need to just get to the guy I need to tell the man I need to go the guy didn't quite and then we all ran up to the man. Like, yeah. And, and he was like, like stop shouting. Because like, yeah. he didn't speak English very well. And he was like, if you all talk at the same time, I cannot understand. Mm. Um, and then I think Vash yeah, so <laughs> boldly like, went. She needs to go home now. And then they were like, she can't go home now. Because we were so remote. We were so like, remote. we were in a really like deep village. And yeah, it was, it was a really long way to go back to even Delhi just to get a flight. Yeah. Even Jaipur. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. You had to get a helicopter. 
Um, <laughs> no, it was like a, um, one of those mini planes mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so he was like, okay, like tomorrow morning. And I was like, no, now. And then I said, and then I said, I was getting so frustrated because the, the phones kept dying. We yeah. had no electricity. And I was like, I just need to use the phone. And all that time they told us that this <laughs> generator was on a timer. But when I needed the phone, they cranked that generator up and let me charge my phone. And it was just crazy. So it was like the day that we found out they were deceiving us. And everyone was like, I can't believe this. They had a choice. Um, we thought it just went on at 7pm and went off at 7am or whatever the silliness that that it was yeah Um, so I think then yeah as Vash said the the reality of the situation then hit me of how remote we were and how far far away from home I was Um, we were being paid I think £7 a week £7 a week, 500 rupees yep so there wasn't any kind of I didn't have finances, I didn't have, like, you know, it just, it just kind of happened. Okay, interestingly enough, I think, um, well, yeah, interestingly enough, at my first interview, they had asked me, um, because they had kind of, the interview was very probing and Mm. very personal, um, and I think everybody, yeah, everybody said that, and I think a lot of that was to do with they were trying to test your resilience and Mm. see how much you would be able to kind of cope with the things that come with being in those kind of situations, which is... And can be very, like, difficult and disorientating. I had kind of mentioned that my dad wasn't um, very well. And they just kind of directly asked me straight out, what would you do? And what would you do if your dad passed while you was out there? And I said what my dad had said to me. And I said I could be home for 12 weeks and my dad could pass. Or I could be in India for 12 weeks and my dad could pass. Mm. I could be home for the next year. Or I could not leave my house for the next year, continuing to think my dad may pass. Um, so you know I don't want it to be my deciding factor Um, and they said to me that um, just to let you know that if you needed to come home outside of the times that we've kind of like organised your flights or you'll have to arrange your own flight and I said yeah that's fine they wouldn't even do compassionate air they didn't they said they wouldn't but they They did in the end and they never they never made any fuss about it or anything Um, so Back to the day in question. <laughs> so um, after kind of getting trying to get this message across to this this guy, um, he then I think contacted the partners in England. They then called through and spoke to me, and they said we'll get you home as quick as we can. Yeah. Um, they said there was a flight the next day, but um, sorry, okay. <laughs> there was a flight the next day. And um, they wanted to try and book me on it, but it was literally like the times were too tight. I was, we were like twelve hours away from Delhi, mm. um, and it just wouldn't have worked. So then they said there was a flight. I think the two days after that, and I just kept thinking, oh my god, that's four days that my dad's gonna have passed, and I'm not there, and I'm not with him, um, and I'm not at my house. And like, I just, I just couldn't. I couldn't quite manage the distance but in a sense I guess you know God makes things everything happen for a reason because during those four days like the support that I got from the people that were around me was just I felt like the people that I was around I got so much strength from so I couldn't even imagine it almost felt like I was a new person after all the struggles we'd kind of been through in India and you know what was really like to this day I'm just like wow like I think apart from 
one person yeah. everyone had lost a dad yeah. in that room in that room yeah so it was like we all understood we were all sensitive to the situation as well yeah and it was interesting because you know prior to being part of the dead dads club I just felt like I was like wow all of these people have lost their dads and I've lost my mum so I felt I guess still connected we had a connection Mm. that I guess maybe not other people could have understood I remember when my mum died and somebody said um, it takes a year and a day to even realise how much you to even basically for your body to process and acknowledge that a loss has come from somebody that you love so Mm. deeply because you need to have spent every single day Mm. without them plus one extra Mm. to recognise that they're not coming back like every single day of the 365 days a year to then recognise that they're not going to be in any of those days Mm. Um, and I yeah it's it's funny because one of the things I was really conscious of is like re-traumatising <laughs> the people in my room I remember kind of having that feeling like dear god can, this is something that they shouldn't have to see because I can't imagine after everything I'd gone through with my mum like having to witness a similar situation and how much that then brings out of you mm. when you wasn't expecting it I guess um so there was a little element of guilt there as well. Um, so luckily, this charity, um, they did get me a flight. I think it was about four days. Um, and then from the moment that I left camp to the moment that I got into my door was a 45-hour journey. I did not sleep. <laughs> I could barely shut my eyes. Mm. I could barely eat. I felt sick constantly. Um, and... You know, it's crazy to go from almost... One of the things I really had to adjust to in India is waking up with people in your face. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, you know, my brother had moved out a long time ago. I wasn't even used to having a sibling. Mm. But now you have to wake up remembering that you're with people. And, you know, mm. it's it's different kind of thing. So then to go from that to then being just alone... I had a chaperone who spoke no English. Um, and he would Listen. chaperone me to Delhi... Um, so I think initially it was like a 10 hour sleeper train then we stayed um, overnight somewhere and then we took a small plane from I think Jaipur to to Delhi Delhi, yeah Yeah. and then from Delhi it was um, a flight home 12 hours to Heathrow I had a friend pick me up and then bring me home Um, when I got home the guy that dropped me home, he's a friend of mine, um, and he brought his girlfriend with him. I think he brought his girlfriend with him because he was just like, this is too emotional for me to... to I don't know what to yeah. say. Like, and um, I'd never met her before, but when they got me from the airport, he kind of went and got the bag straight away, and she just hugged me, and she was like, I'm so sorry. And I guess, again, in that way, that was quite knowing that maybe she's known grief before, but it was... Yeah. I felt that she felt it whereas he was very practical um and then we drove to my house we got home um and he asked me if if I wanted him to come in with me and I said no um I'd asked all my family to leave I said I don't want anybody to be in the house when I get here I said that's my home that's mine and my dad's home and I want to be there um they really didn't like that they didn't want me to be alone they wanted me to be with somebody they wanted you know all the things I guess that you'd want for somebody when you know that they're grooving um 
And I just said, that first night, I cannot have anybody in the house. I said, my house needs to feel like my home. Um, Because you also had to go through a processing, because I guess because you were so distant from it. Yeah. It's almost like, I need to sit in it. Yeah, of course. And just deep what's just happened. Yeah. And I'd ask them not to touch anything. I said, don't touch these things, don't touch anything. Don't, you know, Mm. I was very kind of like possessive almost. And I guess it's because I wasn't there. Um, and yeah so my friend came upstairs with me and um, I just remember like I walked in and my footsteps echoed and I was like that's when you know that you're in a house that's not lived in Mm. and then I was like because he died here and I was like oh my god like and I felt like the echo was the the full stop or the stamp on it to say this officially happened and then my friend said I think you should sit down. And I said, no, I don't need to sit down. And then it was just like, my whole body just collapsed. And he kind of caught me and like put me on the sofa. And I think that's the only time I can ever say like, I know that expression now, my knees just gave away. Like, cause I just didn't know how I got down there. Like, and then um, he didn't want to leave. And I was like, please leave. Like, this is, this is all, this is the only time that I will actually get to be alone because my family would probably be outside the yeah, door at 7am yeah. tomorrow morning and I was like, I just need my head to be like, okay um, and I went in and I looked at his room um, yeah, and I was just like okay, cool, and I remember I just wanted to slept in my own beds and yeah, I've never heard this yeah, because um, I think there was like a little gap, I've, yeah because, no, 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 we came back from India and it was like a couple of days before Christmas, Christmas isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I went to Belgium, yeah. and then as soon as I came back from Belgium, I came to see you. Yeah. So it was before the turn of the the, the, end, year, before the yeah. end of the year. Um, yeah, so I yeah, I've never heard this bit. Yeah, um, yeah, my family then kind of bombarded me. I had my family and my friends. I think the next day, I didn't even get out of bed, and I probably had about twenty five people in my house, and. <laughs> People constantly came in my bedroom to say, just to let you know somebody's just come, or just to let you know something. I was like, fine. There was people cooking. There were people washing dishes. Um, there was laundry being done. I didn't know what was even happening. I was not functional. I just, not. it was all a big haze, but things were happening. Um, <laughs> then I guess, like, my, my dad has two sisters and my dad's mum had passed just two years before and um his dad had passed when he was quite young so my dad's two sisters were just very keen on like doing everything like they were like we don't want any stress to be on the kids um like we want to just take take hold of everything but we want to we want to let you know that everything's like your choice and stuff um and like so even for like all the funeral arrangements and stuff I just said <laughs> I was like, do whatever you like. I said, two things is the only things that I want. Um, they they chosen white roses to go on top of the coffin. And I said, nope, they've got to be red. Mm. And I said, and I don't want to hear the song, How Great They Are, at the church, at the graveside, mm. at the crematorium. That was it. Did you um, have a nine-night? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and that, that was that, basically. That was my only involvement. Everything else, my aunts just kind of managed for me um I think one of the strangest things were that um 
so yeah, I was 24, but my dad had had um, three children before he'd got with my mum. Um, my dad was 25 when he met my mum, and before that he'd had three kids. My dad had had a son when he was 17 um, that I'd never met, mm. but I just felt like it was my duty to reach out to him and to let him know that my dad had passed. Um, my dad had recently made a relationship, reached out and made a relationship with him in the last couple of years, but my dad hadn't introduced him to me or my brother he said like he wanted to take it all very slowly um so when my dad did pass I did get hold of him um I was the one to inform him and um there was a day that he came round, and he asked that the family not not be there um and it would be just me and um he literally walked into the house and I <laughs> I could barely look at him and to this day I can barely look at him because he is the spitting image of my dad Mm. he moves like him he stands like him he talks like him he walks like him Um, and that for me made it almost unbearable Mm. like to be reminded in that that sense and it was just so interesting that he wasn't raised by my dad and he'd, you know, been raised by his mum and there was so much kind of distance between yeah. us. But the mannerisms and the everything was so much like my dad that I guess it was almost, for me, not conducive to me grieving because it 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 was almost like is he gone or is he just you know and that that, that really feeling yeah it. that feeling was quite unsettling and, and that isn't his fault at all mm. or, you know that's got nothing to do with the person that he is he's a lovely mm. guy and my brother and you know but you know there was all those little kind of things to deal with um, and then um, yeah so then my dad had another son and a daughter so those two are older than me and my brother me and my brother are only 18 months apart um, and he'd been, stayed with my mum until she passed away so the shock of not only losing uh, your father, yeah. but then finding out that there's all these other siblings. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't really a shock. I'd known that okay. my dad had other siblings, and I think there was a point um, where my dad had become quite reflective mm-hmm. um, towards... Um, those last kind of few years and my dad had reached out to his kids and I thought it was a good idea because I'd, I'd grown up with a lot of um, especially girls because I went to an all girls school a lot of girls that didn't have their dads around um, and I was like to your other children you were that man the mm. same way how they speak about their dads yeah. and my dad was kind of like well they're grown up now they should look for me and I was like no that's not their that's role not goes, yeah. um, so I was quite encouraging for my dad like reaching out to his kind of earlier kids and um, so I think it was more the, the lookalikey factor that was frightening for me. Um, then, so that, yeah, so then my dad had two sons and a daughter before me and my, my full brother. Mm. Um, so his other son I had a relationship with. Um, and his daughter, we'd had a relationship, but it was sporadic. Yeah. Um, so then... There was a day, again, I'm in bed. This is in the first kind of few days, just before the nine night. I'm in bed. There's about 26 people in my living room and kitchen. And I've just, I'm in bed with the lights off and the covers over my head. And some of, one of my friends came in and said, you need to come out. It's like Jerry Springer out here. <laughs> they said, um, this guy just went, 
hi, I'm your brother. And the girl went, I'm your sister. And then they went, that's my mum. And this is my mum. And they were just so all shocked by it. And for me, I just remember being like, there is absolutely nothing that can capture my attention <laughs> apart from my grief. And I guess because I'd known that it was going to happen and obviously I'd, mm. I'd invited them over, I was like, you know, I'm going I'm not leaving the bed, but um, please come and meet your family. And I guess I did feel this kind of responsibility to mediate it or whatever, I guess. Um, And all of that just went out the window. I was was literally kind of just desolate. I was beside myself. There was a day, um, I think the day of the nine night, where um, I literally got out of the bed... um, because they were saying, oh, you know, it's the actual nine night today, so, you know, you're going to have more people over and you need to what be... Is, what is the process of a nine night? So the... we have, like, in Congolese culture, we have a matanga. Which yeah. I, I'm guessing it's the same yeah. the premise. Where you have seven days after the passing and then it, within that seven days, people come to the house and after that seven days, people don't come. So what's the... what's Yeah, what's the difference or similarities, rather? it's an interesting thing isn't it because nine nights is something that you just grow up hearing and I feel like I've never really had to investigate the process of that as a younger person because yeah. it's just like oh it's just what it is isn't it? Yeah. but um, I'm as, it's always on the ninth day so I'm guessing it's like similar to your seven, yeah. the Congolese cultures of seven days um, and it's like a celebration meant to be a celebration of life um, and I think I don't I, I guess initially there must be some um real cultural elements as to why yeah. it's the nine days but I've just I've just always known it as that and that's that's what people do and everyone's yeah. kind of I guess there's an expectation almost that people would come within those nine days mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how important that is but people will tend to it's almost like that is the day where the people are, the other people are expected to also come and celebrate life not just yeah. your close people so work colleagues this person that person it's almost anyone like, can come yeah that's your day yeah. of just celebrating the life of this person and actually other people should be you know involved and told or whatever um, so again, all gone arranged over my head, um, yeah. and I just remember getting dressed. I put on some tights and I put my boots in my hand, and I left my house with twenty pounds in my pocket. And I just remember pressing the lift frantically, like, please come on, please come on, please come. <laughs> As the lift opened, it was my cousin, and he was like, where are you going? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, you've got your shoes in your hand. And I was like, I know that, I, I know that, yeah. And then he's, and I'm just, and then I'd Bear got... Bear this was, like, winter. Yeah, and then <laughs> I'd got in the lift, and he'd got out, like, I'd pushed him out, and I just was pressing the button, and he's like, have you got money? Have you got money on you? I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I just... I just had to leave I just had to get out of Mm. all of it Um, yeah and it just I just felt like I couldn't and then um, I'd sent a text to one of my aunts because my aunt had said I will not leave this house until you come home and I just said I can't come home until there's nobody there it Mm. just all felt so invasive I just felt so invaded Um, and overwhelming and overwhelming because you're still sitting in your feelings you're still like what has happened and also not to mention the fact that You've just come back from India. Because yeah. I remember when I just came back from India. Overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. Even the sound. Yeah, we've yeah, been in the, the middle smells, of the desert for how long? And you come back to London, busy life. Yeah. And it, 
I literally felt like I couldn't even focus. And for me, it was the fact that we had just come back from living in the village, being with these kids, appreciating the fact that we don't need all of this stuff. And then we've come back at the the most materialistic time of the year. I felt sick. I remember when we went to my aunt's house... um, on Christmas Day, I was like, I can't eat all this too much food. Yeah. I didn't want, I, I didn't partake in the gifts. It just felt overindulgent. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, and I guess I've never really even thought about that aspect of you coming back um, because you still had to process the fact that I've, <laughs> I've just come back yeah. from Pakistan. Yeah. You know, I've just come back from this life-changing experience. Like, There's just so much going on. Yeah. It just felt all very noisy and very the time kind of floating past and then all this Christmassy stuff you know all this glitter and Christmas stuff lights mm. and crap and I was just like Christmas didn't even exist in my world and then people started saying like where's she gonna be for Christmas oh we've got to make sure she's gonna this that I said I will be in my house in my tracksuit don't anybody make me go anywhere because I just yeah. couldn't even what think about it I said I was gonna sit in my house in my tracksuit and I think that um that first year, um, my aunt... No, wait. The first year, I said, yeah, I'm going to stay at home. And my aunt called and she's like, I can't leave you there. Please come, please come, please mm. come. Um, and I said, all right. Well, I'm not shaming. I'm not putting on a bar. And she said, I don't care. Just please, I can't let me by myself or whatever. And my aunt, uh, no, my auntie's son. Oh, and then, so my uncle came and picked me up. And we just drove and I just cried. Mm. And I got out of the car and I cried some more. And I ate dinner and I cried. And I literally was wearing a Nike navy blue tracksuit. And I think maybe like some plimpsoles or something. I can't <laughs> even... It was just all so random. Um, and then the following year, I just said, look, I just can't. I'm, I want to stay at home. This now feels like a time where I have to just process that my dad isn't going to be here for future yeah. Christmases, etc, etc, whatever. Um, and then my aunt sent around like this bag of just everything that I have at Christmas like she threw in like the celebrations I like and she bought my ciders and she'd just sent all this bag and she was like I just wanted you to have everything that you'd have if you was here and oh, I was that's like really bless her yeah so fast forward 10 years um, and I guess looking back as we know like grief is a it's a constant process Right. constant process like as I said like my dad died 23 years ago and I was still here crying now um, I don't think it's something that you ever I, I don't think it's something that one if you haven't lost a parent that you will ever understand yeah um, and two I don't think it's something that you can really explain um, because it's sort of like if we look at ourselves as puzzles you've had a few pieces taken away that can never be replaced really yeah. they can't be replaced with money can't be replaced with memories can't be replaced with relationships that's just it so you're kind of like walking around like this puzzle with missing pieces yeah. um, and then people always think well actually like you know it's been so long you'll get over it there's always going to be that void but what are the things that you think have helped you with your grief I think or with the grieving process, rather? The things that have helped me with the grieving process, I think definitely the people I was around in India and actually knowing they'd all lost a parent and they were all very different personalities and kind of trying to understand how mm. their losing parents at different points in their life had affected them. Um, and I think, I guess before, 
I'd always been like, um, as Vash just explained, like sometimes it's almost like you've lost a piece of yourself. And because of the age I was when my mum died, I was only 14. Mm. I always feel sometimes like I miss steps. Mm. And I'm like, I may have missed them steps. And you're constantly trying to live your life pretend not pretending but trying to not let anyone see your loss which can sometimes shine out sometimes Mm. um and I think um with my dad I guess I I felt like there was a way that I wanted to process it so number one there would be no crumbling number two I needed to be very practical because the relationship that me and my dad had built just before um I'd gone to India we're very kind of honest with each other and my dad was very much like this is what I would expect you to do if I was to die tomorrow it's like don't you dare spend this much on a plot to bury me I want to be cremated I want to be this and that so there was very kind of factual and practical processes Mm. that kept me busy I think um yeah so there's that there's the people around me um I think my family have been absolutely amazing like sometimes I look back and I just think there's no way I would have got through this if I didn't have the support system that I I do have Mm. um and the friends I have now um and the friends I made from India as well um but also um I'd always said when I got home around that time I just said look there's a part of me that cannot be in this house alone but I refuse to live anywhere else and I told everyone I'm getting a dog. Everyone said, no, this isn't a good idea. This is drastic measures. This is too fast. This is whatever. This is da 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 And I held off and held off until March. And then um, in March 2011, I was like, no, let me look again. Um, and it was weird. I had a really strange dream where... Um, my mum had sent me shopping and I said, all right, mum, I'm just going to stop off at the dog shop and, and pick up a staff. And I, I'd driven to this dog shop and the man goes, you can't get a staff in the dog shop. You need to go on Gumtree. And then I've woken up in the morning, real life, and um, I've gone on Gumtree and seen this little half staff, half chihuahua dog um, being sold by a woman with the same name as me and the final date for him to go with the other puppies was the 13th of March, which was my birthday. birthday. And I was like, that is my dog. That's fake. It is meant to be. And I know this may sound silly, especially as, like, culturally, like, Caribbeans, Africans, like, we're not really, like, dog people, I guess. Um, But that was something that he's been my comfort, my Mm. rock, my... I don't know, like, he's been the other person in the house now. Um, and as silly as that might sound, there's times when, you know, he's going to be 10 next next January. Um, and I look at him and I just look back and I'm he's almost reminds me of that I can get through anything. Like, mm. I'm like, wow, me and you have been together through so much. Yeah. There's been so many times when things have fallen apart. Me and you, we're still here kind of thing. And so I think that was, that was the thing. And it might be a bit of a... Maybe a difficult, controversial question, but you lost your mum when you were 15. Fourteen. Fourteen, yes. and then your dad when you were 24. Yes. Which, I guess, which one felt worse? <laughs> um, I would say my mum, and I think because I've thought about this, but I would also say that there's been loads of times along the years where people... Well, I've had to question for myself 
is an unexpected death better than a not planned death but a known one I suppose so ever since I was young I remember my mum saying oh your dad's got this illness and there was never anything physically seen or debilitating mm. about this illness that he had but I just knew that he'd had an, he had an illness um, so I just always assumed my mum was going to be the fit lively one to take us through life mm. um, I think because of my dad's illness um, my dad had a condition called, called sarcoidosis which is quite similar to lupus um, it's an autoimmune disorder that um, attacks your body it will attack organs um, cells and one of the kind of really bad things about it is any organs and stuff that it attacks it will it, when they heal it replaces with scar tissue which then makes their functioning less um, over a period of time which 10, 20, 30 years, it depends for different people, um, it progresses and will start attacking yeah. like more more of your um, organs and stuff. So I guess um, even though being young, I didn't really know what my dad had or what that really meant or even saw anything of it. Um, I just always felt like my mum was the fit, the fit one that was going to go through everything. Um, and also my mum was more of the present parent. Um, yeah. My parents were both together, but I just think my dad was the roles were quite traditional um in a sense so my dad my mum did all the stuff in the house made sure things kind of tipped over my dad went out to work and came home and brought the money back kind of thing yeah. and that was what I saw I don't necessarily think that was the dynamic of their relationship full on but I'm yeah. just like at the time that that's kind of how I really remembered it um there were times when I was younger I have to say like my dad taught me how to ride bikes and skate and <laughs> do loads of different things yeah. um, and we did spend a lot of time together but at the time when we were teenagers I just remember my dad being more the provider and my mum being more the parent mm. um and it it felt like a massive loss to lose the parent like mm. I didn't really see my dad as a parent at that time because mm. I was a 13 14 year old girl that you know at that age you think the world revolves around you and it, it just never really I never really kind of considered it yeah. that much um, and then I guess yeah it being my mum hurt more it being unexpected kind of hurt more but I think I've weighed that up over the years as well and thought that actually I don't think there is a lesser evil between that because unexpected or planned or known I guess either way they come with such different hurts but I think as well because I had grieved my mum before um, the year before my dad died, I remember I went to counselling. <laughs> the, the first thing they ask you, they're like, so what brings you here? And I said, my dad's dying and I want to make sure that when it happens, I'm ready and I know how to fill the void. And she just was so, like, <laughs> kind of blown away by it. But I just remember um, one of the things where I guess I had to accept when my dad was really declining was in um, 2009 when we got the oxygen tanks in the house. Um, and that, even saying that out loud just sounds mm. crazy because every, to everyone else that sounds quite like serious mm. stuff and I guess all the way along through life and stuff even when my dad's had operations and I guess all these other things have happened my dad was very good at putting a front on everything is alright kind of thing um, so when we got the oxygen tanks I just will never forget I remember I just, I thought I'm going to be brave and I googled it 
and I said, it, the question that I googled was basically, what's the life expectancy of somebody with sarcoidosis once they need oxygen tanks in the house? Mm. And it basically came out that it was five years. Mm. And that, for me, in my head, was almost a, a measure, I guess. Yeah. And I just kind of knew that that was kind of what we... we anything more than that would be amazing anything less than that could be also so you, were, you were preparing I was preparing myself and, and I think that probably also came from what had happened with your mum because yeah. you're like, I'm not I don't have time for that to happen again I, I want to know what's going to happen yeah. you know I think with the unexpected and with my mum dying it was the shock of it like I just felt like there was even when I look back I feel like maybe for about three or four years there was such a shock element of it that my brain couldn't process it there were women I'd chased down in the street because I believed it was my mum. Mm. I just kind of almost was still open to this naivety of there could be something really, really wrong. Like, I'd seen my mum dead, but I was just yeah. like, I just don't know, and I don't know what the world is, and maybe somewhere, somehow, in a magic land, there is... My mum is out there, and I've this person is... Thoughts. Yeah. Because um, you, just, you just... It's like you can't process yeah, it. Yeah, you literally happen, can't. They just like, no. Yeah. But I'm sure that they just tried to lie. Something happened. Exactly. Maybe they just got divorced, and they didn't want to tell me, or, you know, whatever it is. Exactly. Um, All of these things yeah. go through your mind, and I just... I literally remember seeing my mum in... My, that was my mum on the bus, I'm sure, and, like, chasing people, like... Whereas I never had that with my dad. With my dad, it was very much acceptance, mm. practicality, sort the stuff out that he told you to yeah. do. Like, I had a responsibility. Whereas with my mum, I just... It was almost a daze, like... And if I look back, I think it genuinely did not hit me that I'd lost my mum until I went to uni. And when I went to uni, everybody else had their mums doing things for them. And I was just, like... I don't have that Mm. and I'd never really looked at what I had lost because one of my things was I didn't I was very conscious of anything being used against me and I was like I will not be that girl whose mum died I was like don't you be my friend out of pity like don't anybody ever try and be my friend out of pity I do not need your pity and that was a really big thing for me Mm. like I think when I was younger and and when I got to uni I was just like oh my god and I guess um, I remember um, Vash, one of your friends, saying about like that's how she felt about people at uni, like who had their dads. Yeah. And it's like by the time I'd gone to uni, my dad wasn't in a very good place, um, and he was drinking quite heavily at that time. And actually, I don't have my mum or my dad, mm. and that made it all the worse. Like, and I think that's when it really hit me. Yeah. Like, whoa, she's gone. And then I think. Um, yeah, then I also thought about what are all those things that normal 14, 15, 16, 17 year old girls mm. do with their mums or that their mums teach them that I haven't learned and mm. I was really scared that somebody was going to, or like my potential partner or my potential new friends were always going to be like, you've got that piece missing, I can see it. Like, mm. um, And I kind of always thought I'd gotten over that until I think, when did we go to Paris? Uh, 2018. So, yeah. 2018, we went to Paris. And um, I don't even know how this kind of came about, but Vash's friend, Liz, yeah. was doing my hair. Yeah. And I'd always felt like Liz kind of reminded me of my mum mm. just because of, like, she's very kind of, like, small, like, mm. dark skin girl. Like, I don't know, there was something about her. It was the height, I guess, yeah. and the stature that reminded me of my mum. Um, and I'm also quite funny about who does my hair. That's, like, a very... Caribbean thing about they make you feel like he's out to kind of steal your hair or something um, 
and um, she Vash's friend did my hair and I just like literally burst into tears and I just I just couldn't express it and I was like I feel like um lack of fraud um and I was like I want I just felt like um I guess because Liz is very good at like makeup and hair and yeah. these things that I guess I associate with like being ladylike and I feel like I just felt like maybe I'm I've never been that girl that's been into that kind of stuff as fashion as me but um I actually felt this feeling of maybe I'm not into that because I've missed this piece and mm. this piece now means I'm I'm not a lady like and here I am now grown and like I've got this girl doing my hair for me like and I, I don't know I can't even I don't even know if I'm explaining it You're properly really but bad. it just felt like yeah I was like wow I wonder what else I've missed because my mum didn't teach me or you know I guess I don't know and I think that's the bit that people don't really understand about yeah. grief is that it's not just that you're missing the person there are so many different layers yeah. to it it is you know I guess the always wanting to be prepared for things because you yeah. know that bad things happen it's the you know you're so independent because there is you know people look yeah. at you and think oh you know sometimes people look at me and they're like oh my gosh you're so independent it's like well I haven't had a father to be able to do that as soon as my dad died I basically became the second parent yeah. even though I was seven um and it's like people don't realize how much it affects every aspect of your life and it shapes yeah, you it it's, shapes it, you and I think it's probably one of the reasons why we are I think we're, we're different but we're similar in yeah. that we realize that life is life is short we care a lot about experiences. We care a lot about making people feel loved because yeah. we we realise that or we understand that there's a, there's a there's a beauty to life that again it's that knowing that you can only really understand and see that everything else is superficial. It's the wisdom that comes with loss. The wisdom that... We always say this. It's the yeah. wisdom that comes with loss and not everybody gets it. So when people are like, oh my gosh, you're so this, or yeah. you think too deeply about things, it's like, well, no. Like, once you've actually lost a piece of that puzzle, yeah. you start to see things completely differently. You're just like, I don't have time for this. Like, all of this yeah. is... All of this is noise, basically. Yes. It's yes. noise. You know how to... to focus on what is noise and what is and what's real important. Exactly. yeah yeah definitely um but i i would like to say that i have drawn so much strength from you i think you're probably <laughs> like you saying that you yeah even when you were saying about my mom and you know all of that kind of stuff but i see that in you like and i don't think that you realize how strong you are because sometimes <laughs> i just think no matter what happens to you you just keep going and going and going. <laughs> like, life will, like, throw you down and then you'll have your moment and then you're like, right, I'm back on it, you know? It's funny because it's such a strange perception because to me, I'm just like, I don't know what you're talking about because you just see me falling down all the time. <laughs> like, I'm like, that is me down, yo. I'm down, like, I'm but down. I like... see you get up yeah. and you've always gotten up. So in the 10 years that I've known you, it's like your resilience. It's like I was saying to Liz, I feel like you and Liz are some of the most resilient people that I know. Mm-hmm. Even though people might look at me and think, oh my gosh, I think yeah. you're so resilient. I think we're all very strong individuals. Individually, yeah. Yeah, we're all very strong. Um, but I think that I draw my own strength from seeing other people. I'm just like, well, if that yeah. ain't stopped Dan like yeah. what I don't have an excuse yeah. you know um, and I think that you've got a very beautiful perspective on life that is crazy <laughs> <laughs> honestly wow that's crazy and lovely to hear because um, I feel like everything gets me down um, but 
I guess, yeah, I understand um, and I appreciate that you kind of get that from me. Um, I, I feel like um, there is a lot of wisdom that comes with loss. And again, I think more prominently the loss of my mum just because of the age that I was. I was at an age where I just... I was at an age where we all still feel like our parents are invincible. Yeah. And I just could not believe. Like, mm. it, it destroyed my law of the world. Yeah. Like, I was like, this is not what the laws of the world are. This, mm. is, this is not... This is basically upside down to me. Yeah. Um, I remember being angry, so angry. I was furious with God. I was like, God, you let this happen? You planned mm. this? this mm. and I, I couldn't go to church for years and years and years um whereas I remember being when my dad died being able to draw strength from from church and from God and almost it, it was a different I guess I'd learned how to then process grief in a different way mm. and I realized how painful the initial experience with my mum was and I guess I had to learn how to manage it and if I had to go through that that level of unbearable pain again mm. I guess I had to always try to manage my dad's death better which is like I said why I'd gone for the counselling before because I was like yeah like a year after my dad passed away um it was like a memorial service and my family had been asking me what was going to happen with my dad's ashes my dad had always said that he wanted to be buried with my mum which was why the plot had um, two spaces. It was like one of those two people burial spots. Um, but then when my dad's mum passed away, literally just two years before oh. him, um, his view was slightly different and he wanted to be cremated. And then I, I kind of ha- was having this panic about, like, <laughs> um, I was like, does he want to go in the in the thing with my mum? Or should I have him sprinkled with his mum? And I just felt like this massive like weight and I remember trying to explain it to Vash um, and she said to me um, I really don't know why it matters so much because in my culture we don't visit gravestones and I was so angry with her <laughs> I was furious with her <gasps> because to me I couldn't understand how this girl that understood everything else about me couldn't grasp that this was mm. so important like and I was so angry with her and I was so angry and then I was angry with myself because I was rational enough to know one of the things I've got from Vash is like there's beauty and differences and especially cultural differences and actually like it's almost like there is a strength to draw from the different different ways of grieving as well. But it was like, no, because I could even understand that, I was even more angrier because I didn't have anywhere to direct this anger. Mm. And it took me so long to even realise that that whole anger came back from the fact that before my mum died, um, just randomly in talking, she always said, oh, don't bother spend your money bringing um, flowers to my grave. Give me flowers when I'm alive. That's what I want. I want flowers every week or something yeah. funny like that. And it was almost like what Vash was saying was in line with what my mum was saying. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> because it almost felt like then the acceptance of that also equals the acceptance of nothing you really do now is going to change what's happened. Mm. And I couldn't let that little piece go. Like I was still invested, like something that I do is going to somehow make this situation not right, but better. Mm. And Vash was basically telling me, nothing is going to make this better. And I was like, you need to go away with your valid points. And I remember <laughs> I was just so furious, like, to the point where um, 
I just like I remember I didn't make a decision. The ashes are still here. Are like the ashes, still here? the ashes are still here because I couldn't make that decision. And there was a point that I got to when I realised that it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. Um, and I was making a joke the other day about. Um, like if I needed to if if I needed to leave the house and like what we was talking about what would you take and I was like get a bag for life one of those you know strong carriers and I'd put my both my dogs in there both my dogs <laughs> my, both my dogs my dad's ashes my mum's gold and maybe a packet of what's it's gone anything else I can live through like I would just be sliding down the banisters with just that <laughs> and for some reason even though I even acknowledge yeah. the ashes, I had to get to a point to acknowledge that the ashes weren't anything, but they're still something to, to me. You. Yeah. But then it also, you know, it it was still a long process. Um, and interestingly enough, earlier this year, I only just told my brother. I was like, um, you know, when me and Shane, my cousin, um, picked up the ashes, I was like, you know, we looked inside. He was like, <gasps> and I was like. <laughs> We touched it. He's like, did you? Yeah. And Shane was like, I have to touch it to to in his head. His thing was, if I touch it, it makes it real. Mm. This is real. This is him, and that means he's gone. And that was his thing. I was just like, I just want to know what it feels like. But my brother, like, yeah. Yeah, like grains of sand almost. But my brother was mortified by that. Whereas for me, I was like, that was such a closure mm. for me to know that the, this is this. I thought, what if we opened it and it was empty? That was my thing. Could you imagine? Like, I don't know why it was such a thing. But yeah, so just to end on, um, I think one of the things that has kept me strong is seeing the different ways in which people can process grief and and be resilient and... Mm you know the fact that we've all done it so differently so I think with me and my brother is is quite a good example and and I guess it very much goes back to that you know that you know the expression of I can't remember what expression encompasses it but the example of you know there's two sons and son A says I hit my wife because my dad used to hit my mum and son B says I never hit my wife because my dad used to hit my mum and it's almost like it's interesting how you can take one thing and build your life off it but it doesn't mean it is correct and it Mm. doesn't mean that there is only one narrative to build off that um so for example my brother's very much like my brother lives in Manchester he started a new life and he's very everything's um I guess he's just moved on I guess Mm. whereas for me my whole thing was nobody else can live in our family home so I will be living here whereas for him that would probably be his worst nightmare to be around the stuff to be around the things and I've had to slowly slowly like get rid of things um so I think the other day I facetimed my brother and he said (laughs) and he said something like what's that what's that knife doing in the background and I was like it's just in the kitchen and he's like that knife is mum's knife if you've still got mum's knife, that means that you have 20-year-old cutlery sitting in that kitchen. I hope you're proud of yourself, yeah? And I said, um, and I said, I thought we didn't talk about the fact that I do not want to get rid of the stuff and I've got emotional attachments to it. So that's why no one talks about my oven that's still here, yeah? 
I have an oven. The door doesn't have any glass. The oven doesn't work. Is this your mum's oven? It's my dad. My dad got it, yeah. And my brother even picked me out a new oven, showed me my um, HMRC rebate tax checks and said, this is your money for the oven. Don't do anything else. I just need you to go and do it. And I refused because for me, I've just had... It's just always been a slow process, whereas for him, it was all very final and very Mm. done, you know? And I guess everybody has their different ways yeah I mean I feel like that about my dad's books like when yeah. people are like oh can I borrow that book and I'm like are you sick like why <laughs> why do you think that that book will ever leave this house yeah yeah and, and I think because yeah. I know that you know he's annotated it so for me it's like these are things that I'd yes. like to pass down yeah you no know, god willing if I have kids so yeah I, I get the emotional attachment to things because it's it's a history there. yeah you know, it's a, there's a story there so yeah <sighs> I, I think it's important. Not even, not even. I don't think important is the right word, but I think it's beautiful that we can have this conversation now, this yeah. month, this year. Yeah. Especially with everything that's gone on. Yeah. And I think, actually, one of the things... I think the biggest lesson that I've learned from being friends with Vash is to not make snap decisions on, like, how I think a person is when I first meet them and to understand that sometimes there's more to things or to more to people because mm. I feel like well, maybe one of my things with you was just us like this girl is so bubbly she ain't never been slapped down in life it? <laughs> like life has not smacked her down yet that's why she's got all this optimism and I think to have found out that your dad had passed away and had passed away so young like I had to eat my words and go whoa that means she's done gone through everything you've gone through and still been able to come out with this amazing outlook on life so I was a bit like what are you doing actually Daniela over there like you need to step it up and I think that's again it's about like when we say about drawing resilience from other people's ways of coping like it was such an an eye-opener and all those people in our room that had like lost a parent and their different ways of kind of dealing with it and the different things that come with it like you know that people don't necessarily think about so I always remember one of my things was um my mum died August the 30th the next week was back to school and stuff and the week after that I came on my period and I had to explain to my dad why yeah mum gives us each this much money a week but once a month I get an extra five pounds. My dad was like, I don't know what kind of (laughs) thing you're trying to do here. My dad thought I was trying to like pull a fast one. And I was just so embarrassed to say to my dad, I need the extra five pounds because I I buy pounds a month kind of thing. And it's all these little things that you go on. Like, for example, um, I just, I just, my mum had made me grow out my relaxer. I had all this natural hair. Um, I, I, I never yeah. used to wash my own hair. My mum was still washing my hair. It's mm. not that I never knew how. I knew it's how. A thing, it was just it? a yeah. thing. Like, it just... There were so many things. I started going to my aunt's house. My aunt used to wash my hair every two weeks for me like it was nothing. My aunt... Wait, let me just quickly say one last thing, which is, if anybody wants to know, like, what has been my keeping strength through absolutely everything I think it all goes to my auntie son mm. my auntie son has calmed me down when I needed to be calmed she has cried and, with and me and auntie son is your mum's sister yeah auntie son is my mum's sister my mum is one of ten but um, her and um, my auntie son came to the country together so they lived in Jamaica together um, and then they came to England um, together I think my mum was five and my auntie son was seven um, and she's just always always been like a second parent to me and I just remember um, 
when my mum died and um, I was sat outside the hospital and she came and sat down next to me and I could see she was just like dazed and she just went, well, I don't know, Stace. I guess I'm going to have to be a parent now. And she has never, ever stepped back from those words or from that position. Mm. So any kind of strength, resilience, compassion abilities that I've had, I think, you know, yes, my dad was there and it was amazing, but to not have a mother figure, I think, would have really turned me into a totally different person, whereas to have had such an amazing, like, substitute mother figure was... It's just beyond beautiful. I can't even imagine who I'd be without that lady.